0: It's a regular Tuesday morning in 2019 for Rob Brewster, head of the rewilding program at WWF. His phone goes off. It's a message from the naval base in Booterie National Park at Jervis Bay. Marked. Urgent. It's a picture of a poo. This day just got interesting. Rob jumps in his car and heads south from his home in Sydney to investigate the sudden appearance of a scat. If the Navy is right... It's a scat of a carnivore Rob released into the wild. Only one way to find out. He needs a closer look. I'm Carlo Ritchie, and this is Scat Chat with WWF. Join me in WWF as we get to the bottom of what fascinating things scat, or poo, can teach us about the animals that made it, the homes they live in, and the problems they face. We'll also chat about what you can do at home to help your favourite animals thrive in the wild. Today, I'm talking to Rob Brewster to hear about how the sparkling scat of the eastern quoll has helped WWF rewild and restore ecosystems. Rob, welcome to Scat Chat. Thanks for having me, Carlo. It's great to have you here, Rob. I'm very keen to talk about eastern quolls and importantly, you guessed it, their scat.
1: Very happy to talk about both, Carlo. I can give you a quick overview of exactly what an eastern quoll is. Most people have never heard of one. I would actually love to hear about what an eastern quoll is, Rob. Fill me in. So an eastern quoll is a, a native Australian mammal. It comes in two color forms. It's either jet black with beautiful white spots or a, an orangey tan color. It only weighs one to two kilograms, so it's a, like a very small cat. It was once referred to as the native cat but it's not related to a cat. It's got a pouch and uh, it can have up to six young a year. It looks like a cheeky little cat with pockets, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, that's spot on, Uh, pardon the pun. And uh, yeah, look, I've I've heard it referred to as a meerkat in spotty pajamas before. So uh, that's a pretty good description. They'll stand up on their back legs and look around and uh, yeah, quite an enigmatic, charismatic, beautiful Australian animal.
0: Now, Rob, people tune into Scat Chat to hear about one thing, and that's scat. So, tell me a little bit about the Eastern Quoll Scat.
1: So, Eastern Quoll Scat, it's probably cat size, an inch or two long. It's a fairly dark colour. You can often distinguish it from other scat by the presence of sparkling beetle parts in its scat. When you say sparkly, do you mean, is it like a glittery poo? Yeah, absolutely. It will glisten in the sun. They're a real insectivorous species, particularly in summer when there's lots of insects around. So we'll often find lots of uh, Christmas beetle parts in quoll scat and cicadas, uh, parts of cicada wings. So it really gives it a very distinctive, uh, I was going to say flavour, but uh, look.
0: (laughs) I mean, look, you can throw out flavour if you want. (laughs) <laughs> just on that, like when we talk about sparkly poo and you say you can, you can see it sparkling, how far off are we talking about planes getting distracted by like reflecting light coming off scat poo? Or is it something that just has to catch it the right way and you
1: can see it a couple of meters away? How visible is it? Look, uh, if only there were that many quolls in the landscape that it would affect air travel, I uh, <laughs> just, I long for that day. But no, unfortunately, not that visible. I think, uh, look, it's something you've got to be, you know, six foot away from and the sun's got to be out but it's definitely got a shimmer to it. But you know, getting up and close and and having a good look is is definitely the way to go. So where might we be able to find quoll scat, Rob? So at the moment, the only place that you can naturally find eastern quoll scat is Tassie. Down in our island state of Tasmania is the last bastion for the eastern quoll. It went extinct on mainland Australia in the 1960s perhaps, maybe a little bit later. Because foxes never got to Tassie, it has provided a safe haven for them. So if you want to see quoll scat or a quoll, you've got to go to Tasmania. And is that the best way to
0: find quoll scat just by walking through the bush and trying to, to see this shimmering magic that is quoll scat?
1: Often we'll use things like footprints and scats to validate that the quoll is actually in the vicinity, it also tells us things like the uh, density and the level of activity that's occurring in that area. Uh, this is the scat
0: tells us this, you mean?
1: Well, that's right. If there's a lot of sc- scat around, we know there's been a lot of quail activity. So it, it tells us a lot about what goes on at nighttime when those quails come out to play.
0: Does it tell you anything else? Is it, I mean, does what they're eating tell you information?
1: Yeah, it does. It tells us a lot about ecosystem health more broadly. So in summer, we'd expect to see lots of sparkly beetle parts and uh, other insects in it. If we're moving into winter, those um, insect parts drop off a little and we might see a little bit more fur. They scavenge on dead animals. Uh, They might eat the occasional bird even. So, if we're not seeing those animals, if we're not seeing many insects in summer, it tells us a bit bit about what's happening to insect populations. So, yeah, it's a really interesting scat as an indicator of broader ecosystem health.
0: What is the weirdest thing you found in scat? Like if you found bits of a treasure map or you know, uh,
1: someone's watch. <laughs> yeah, look, uh, that's a great question. What have we found in Qualscat? Look, we, we find a lot of plastic in qualscats, right. especially where they've been feeding in barbecue areas, in national parks. But look, it's an opportunistic species. It hunts, it travels through the landscape really getting into a lot of trouble getting up to a lot of mischief trying to go through rubbish bins so again you know if we're finding a lot of plastic in the scat of quolls it tells us a lot about the broader impacts of humans on that landscape
0: so they're, they're like they're little tricksters they're like these little cunning tricksters are these quolls are they or
1: yeah absolutely look i think it's one of the things that keeps them alive that that ability to explore and to move through the landscape quickly but it's also something that gets them into trouble
0: if we were comparing this to, say, Lord of the Rings, these would be the sort of the Aragorn Strider character compared to like the Boromir of the, the fox. Uh, look, I'm going to take your word
1: on that. I, uh, <laughs> I've never watched Lord of the Rings. I think so. we can agree. It's a pretty
0: good metaphor. <laughs> no, I think you and I are both in agreement on that. <laughs>
1: yeah, look, I'm happy to agree.
0: And am I right that one of the last populations on the East Coast was at Nielsen Park in Sydney?
1: That's correct. Yeah, it's you know, quite incredible that uh, it was the last stronghold for the species on the mainland.
0: And what happened to that population? Was it foxes as well in the inner city?
1: Well, look, it was probably a a whole range of factors, this sort of multi-causal extinction hypothesis. So we know at that time, uh, the population was expanding, the human population, and uh, there was a lot of subdivision and development going on. There was a lot more cars. Interestingly enough, the tram service had only just stopped two years before, which led to a lot more vehicles being on the roads. And, you know, of course, people were persecuting them. So uh, it's Crazy to think that people were saying in the 1950s and 60s that, you know, they had eastern quolls in their backyard in, in Vaucluse and they didn't like them there. One of our most beautiful, uh, rarest species. And they were trapped and, and often taken out into the bush uh, at Karingai National Park and, and released. And they were probably released into a landscape that had quite a few foxes in it. And uh, we never saw those animals again.
0: Oh man, that's 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 so sad. Also, are we thinking that maybe that the trams were gotten rid of by some nefarious secret cabal who wanted to get rid of quals ultimately? (laughs) Yeah, look. uh, (laughs) First, we take the trams, then we get the quals.
1: That's right. Yeah, look, trams and quals. It was probably the two biggest losses that Sydney's ever had, right?
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, we've brought the trams back. Um, Maybe we can bring the quals back too. Tell me a little bit
0: about this project that you're involved with in rewilding. Eastern quolls to the mainland. And why would we want to rewild a carnivore back onto the mainland?
1: Look, why we want to do this is because the Eastern quoll was a part of our landscape on southeastern mainland Australia for hundreds of thousands of years. Its ancestors were in this landscape for millions of years and it's gone missing in the ecological blink of an eye only in the last half century. Some of the roles of the eastern quail we probably don't even know particularly well, but we know it's been in that landscape for so long and it evolved with all the other species in it. So it certainly had an interaction with those species. One of the things we know it definitely does is provides an ecosystem regulator role in landscapes. So it regulates often some of the things that humans find to be problematic. So pest species, things like spiders, things like cockroaches, they are just the perfect snack for an eastern quoll. Mice and rats. So uh, it's a real farmer's friend, and that is what they once were referred to. Yeah, right. So it's kind of like if somebody leaves the workplace,
0: you realize that there's no more biscuits at morning tea. Like, oh, you know, Anthony must have been baking those biscuits and bringing them into the office and now he's gone. We don't have any biscuits anymore.
1: Yeah, you you sometimes don't miss it till it's gone, right? And I think, you know, that's what we're seeing with the Eastern quoll. It was one of those species that we kind of took for granted. It used to be referred to as a species that was once found in plague abundance and it completely disappeared. And I don't think anyone really saw it coming. You know, there are reports for 100 years of people saying there's something going wrong here, but broadly, the, the community, I don't think, understood the full implications of what was happening to the eastern quail. So, that's what I've really been doing with a, uh, a group of colleagues from a whole range of different organisations and agencies. Uh, we've been working on a plan to actually restore the eastern quail to mainland Australia.
0: It almost sounds kind of sinister when you talk about it in terms of like, oh, nobody really saw this coming. I know this is a crazy conspiracy to throw out, but could it all be down to like one person or one thing that's just like slowly been taking out in some kind of gigantic master plan, taking out the quolls?
1: I mean, look, so many extinctions happen due to this sort of multi-causal extinction issue that we have. So, it's often not one thing that takes something out. It's, It's a range of factors. But look, you know, Eastern quolls are still in Tasmania and- in many areas in Tasmania, they're still in reasonable numbers. So, potentially, the single causation factor on the mainland was the European red fox that was introduced in the 1860s, 1870s.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, it definitely wasn't me, Rob. Like, I didn't travel <laughs> back in time and wipe out the quolls. But just out of interest, do you have the addresses of those quolls that are still down in Tassie? Yeah. <laughs> just,
1: just, well, I just want to look them up. Yeah. Look, fortunately, there's a, a few more than – uh A few more than that left. But having said that, you know, we know the numbers are declining slowly in Tasmania too. And it's something that we are very mindful of. Now, Rob, your official title with WWF is You're the Rewilding Program Manager.
0: What is rewilding?
1: It's really about restoring those missing faunal links in the landscape. So Often when we regenerate landscapes, we plant trees, but we know as ecologists and the general public knows that landscapes don't just have trees in them. They have animals that interact with those plant species and and in many ways help those plant species survive in the landscape. They do that by Bearing seeds and leaf litter and cycling nutrients and and regulating the species that might eat those plant species. So restoring those missing species uh, that have gone from so much of our landscape is, is really a vital component for WWF's Regenerate Australia vision. So in 2018, we undertook the first attempt at a wild reintroduction of Eastern Quiles to mainland Australia since their extinction. Uh, So it was a very exciting time. Uh, It was a nerve-wracking time. It took uh, a lot of organisation between a lot of different uh, agencies and organisations. And so it was a project supported by Parks Australia and with some assistance from the Tasmanian Captive Breeding Centres and the Tasmanian Government, we released them into Buteree National Park, and we followed them over the coming months.
0: I really want to know the specifics of how you move a quoll from Tasmania to the mainland.
1: It's a great question. We don't just put them in a sack and uh, and fly them up on a commercial plane. It, It involves a lot of planning. It's actually a very big box. Yeah, look, a big, big box, uh, lots of boxes and a lot of coordination between where they've come from, which is captive breeding facilities in Tassie that we work with really closely, and the national park that is the receiving environment. So obviously, when we put our quolls back in the landscape, once we've flown them across in a little light plane and given them all their health and vet checks, uh, at both ends of their journey, uh, they are released into Boudere National Park. And, and are you flying that plane, or is one of the quals, Rob? I'm definitely not flying that plane. I don't like light planes at the best of times, so I'll get it in there as a passenger if there's quals that I need to accompany. But I'm I'm on and off that thing as quick as possible.
0: <laughs> I'm I'm only on the plane for the quals. That's right. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. So once those quolls are back on the mainland, we follow them really closely over the coming few months with GPS collars, with tail transmitters that send out a little VHF radio signal. And how do they go? We had all sorts of things happen. We had mortalities and that was a result of things like road kill, domestic dog activity, foxes, uh, but some of them survived. And, uh, and look, the coming years, watching those eastern quolls that survived and monitoring them throughout the park was really interesting. And, and that's where we used members of the public, members of the defense force, and even the federal police got involved in helping us monitor the activity of these eastern quolls.
0: How do they do that? Were they, were they calling you up? Were they saying, hey, I've just seen a quoll? Were they checking for scat?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, so scat was really the first indicator that a quoll had been there for a lot of people that were using the National Park. So you're getting like unsolicited scat pics late at night? We certainly were. We were getting all sorts of things. Two o'clock in the morning, we had uh, Australian Federal Police officers sending us scat photos. and Just uh, dropping
0: into your DMs like, hey, check out this yeah, scat.
1: <laughs> yeah. Look, we had everything. We had photos of quals chasing each other around, but look, some of the really interesting um, photos were of Scat, and uh, that gave us so much insight into how the quals were going in the park, what they were eating, if they were eating enough. They were spelling
0: out messages to you, letting you know they were okay, <laughs> yeah. sending some messages back to their friends in Tasmania.
1: Yeah, well, look, often you know these Scat photos were coming in at a time that we didn't have any monitoring equipment fitted to these quolls. So we can only leave GPS collars on for a certain amount of time. They have to actually be pretty small. you know. They're noticeable. And so you're going to be able to tell if there's an Eastern quoll wearing one, but they have to be less than 5% of the body weight of an Eastern quoll. And that's because of the animal ethics considerations that we have to apply to um, all of our projects that involve monitoring.
0: So you can't give them the body armor you want?
1: No, yeah, look, uh, you know, it would be nice if we could put something on them to uh, defend them against all those threats in the landscape. But once they've gone out, they're uh, they're out there by themselves and they have to learn to hunt and scavenge and uh, and avoid predation by themselves. And then they have to come off. And then it's up to us using technology like camera traps that are set out across the national park to follow these animals. And that's um, easier said than done. And so having that intel from the public to tell us where quolls might be really was a vital assistance. So I think rewilding is really, uh, it's not just done by ecologists. It's a, it, it takes a whole community effort to rewild a species like the eastern quoll back to the mainland.
0: And what was the community response? Were they all pretty stoked to see
1: quolls back in the wild? Yeah. Look, this was one of the really interesting things. The community really got behind the project. We actually analysed some scat that was collected from uh, a house in the Jervis Bay area, and uh, and they had reported seeing no rats for uh, a long time. And we looked at the scat, and what did we find? A lot of rat fur in the scats. So the eastern quolls had actually been preying on these problematic rodents. So, having that information was really uh, important to, I guess, confirm the tenants of that house's suspicions on how effective eastern quolls were at controlling some of our- all yeah. those unsolved rat murders. That's exactly right. Those problematic rodents, uh, yeah, really don't like eastern quolls. So, what are some of the other rewilding projects you're working on, Rob? Yeah. So, look, we're working on a whole suite of species. So, uh, our critical weight range species, those species that weigh between 35 grams and about five and a half kilos, that are really susceptible to going missing in the landscape because of foxes and cats. Uh, we're trying to bring them back in a whole range of ecosystems in southeastern Australia. So one of the species we've been working on lately is the brush-tailed betong or the woily. The woylie, did you say? Yeah, that's its uh that's its Aboriginal name from its um, former range. And uh, so we've brought Woyleys back to York Peninsula as uh, part of our multi-year Bangara project down on South Australia's York Peninsula. And, uh, and look, what we've realised from our Eastern Quail project is that the community loves to help and love to be a part of our rewilding projects. So one of the things that people visiting Southern York Peninsula can do is look for betong signs and betong signs that they, they can look for is diggings. We know betongs are vivacious diggers. They love to dig the soil and look for food, but their scats also tell us whether they're in the landscapes. I
0: went to Port Lincoln for the seafood, but I stayed for the
1: scats. (laughs) Absolutely. Using scats and tracks to monitor our wildlife is something that Aboriginal Australians have been doing for millennia. And using that Indigenous ecological knowledge in our rewilding programs is really important to us. It's using uh, practical on-ground strategies that complement our science-based strategies to monitor our wildlife. And uh, and so it's something that the community can be really heavily involved in, uh, and it's something that's been used in Australia to track wildlife forever. Because this is an important thing,
0: right, that uh, Australia has the highest mammalian extinction rate in the world, right? We're, we're losing mammals at an extraordinary rate. And that looks to kind of continue into the future, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. We've lost over 34 species of mammals since European arrival. Uh, so it's a pretty unenviable position that we found ourselves in. Largely, that's been due to fox and cat predation. We don't have the tools uh, that are going to be necessary to completely remove foxes and cats from the landscape. We have to do things like in the short term at least have secure populations either on islands or behind fences and we need to start working on strategies uh, that can maybe allow our species to coexist with foxes and cats. So how do we make landscapes a little bit more resilient to foxes and cats? So what can listeners do?
0: What can what can the old what can old suburban richie do to help in rewilding?
1: Look, um, I I think the first thing you could do is keep your dog and cat contained. Man's best friend is is often wildlife's enemy. And so, you know, if we can keep our, our cats and dogs contained so they don't kill wildlife, you know, that's really important. Driving to conditions at nighttime. So if you're out on the roads between dusk and dawn, Uh, that's the time where our nocturnal species are most active. So slowing down, keeping an eye out for these uh, species is really important as well.
0: What are some things that listeners could be doing to help track or find eastern quolls? Obviously, going out and looking for that sweet, sweet shiny scat is the first one, but how else can people help just find quolls?
1: Yeah, look, I think People go out in the bush, and uh, when they go hiking and, and bushwalking, we often go and to look for those, you know, big vistas and the landscapes. And uh, but I think we should remember that, you know, looking just beneath our feet and looking at things like scat can actually tell us a bit about what's uh, in the vicinity of of us at that very time. So there are fantastic apps, apps like iNaturalist, where you can snap a scat photo and send it in. And there's a whole suite of community members who will try and ID that for you. It's a a really fantastic uh, opportunity to uh, learn a little bit about what's in your immediate vicinity. And uh, and so I'd really encourage people to do that when they're out in the bush.
0: Now, Rob, before we finish, I want to talk about scat facts. There's so many fun scat facts, and I'm sure you have some great ones. One of my favorite scat facts is, do you know... That an otter's scat is called spraint, like a bad sprite. <laughs> like, like, like sprite made it from paint. It certainly would be a, a bad sprite, wouldn't it? Do you know why it's called that? It's, it's derived from old French, meaning squeeze out.
1: Yuck. <laughs> it's just terrible. <laughs> oh, I thought you'd love
0: it. I'd be like, I thought you'd be like, Oh that's great Carlo. Let's oh, be best friends gosh. forever.
1: Yeah, wow. Do you want one of my scat facts for eastern quails?
0: Yeah, please, please.
1: Yeah, look, even if you put a quail scat in a plastic bag sealed into your fridge, the smell does not stay in the plastic bag. So, <laughs> it will permeate through the bag, and get into all of the rest of your food, so don't do it. It's something I learned while we were collecting scat to identify what they were eating.
0: Look, Rob, if you don't want me to come around for dinner, man, they are easy. You can just say no. You don't have to make up these crazy facts about all your food (laughs) tasting and smelling like whole scat.
1: It was a fridge that had to be thrown away. You know, it was that bad. So you had to throw the fridge away. Yeah. uh, Look, it was an (laughs) old, very old little fridge, a bar fridge. But yeah, it's uh, something I I've learnt not to do. Well, Rob, it has been terrific talking
0: scat with you today. Thank you so much for being part of the show, and good luck with your future rewilding programs. Thank you very much, Carlo. Thank you for joining me for Scat Chat with WWF. If you want to find out more about how you can help rewild your local neighbourhood, head to wwforgau forward slash to get involved. And follow us here to stay in the loop. Join me next time as I get to the bottom of the only cube scat in the world and how the animal that makes it could be providing a safe haven for other animals.